Okay, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're starting in chapter 8 now, and I kind of want to set you up for what's going on. The, uh, Jesus has just given the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he's basically turned their idea of religion completely upside down. We've talked about this for, for a couple months now. Um, a beatitude lifestyle. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Those who are poor in spirit. Right? The peacemakers. Um, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These, this is the kind of uh, relationship Jesus is looking for. He says, y'all, you've heard it said, don't uh, kill anybody. Fantastic. I say, don't even be angry. And so Jesus gets done with this and the people marveled at his authority. Because back in those times, when a a rabbi would speak, he would quote other rabbis to kind of give himself uh, the authority that he knows what he's talking about. Jesus didn't quote anybody. He just said, this is the way it is. And the people marveled. And so now Jesus is stepping off the mountain as if to say, you think that had authority? Wait till you see how I live. Watch what happens when I put that into practice in my own life. This is exactly where Jesus is coming from. He gets done with this sermon, and I was writing in my blog this week. When I get done with a sermon, I'm usually tired and I take a nap because I'm a preaching lightweight. Uh, but Jesus doesn't take a nap. He doesn't go on a sabbatical. He doesn't go, man, that was a great sermon. I think I'm going to start a video series with it or go on the speaking tour. He goes right from his preaching into his life. He's right, whatever he said, blah, 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 it's now going to be action. Now, there'll be some more teaching and more things, but we're going to see Jesus' plugged-in life. He was connected to the Father, and he tells us, Abide in me, and you can do anything. If you're not plugged in, you can do nothing. Those are our two options. So we're going to talk this, uh, this morning about five attributes of kingdom power. I, I was struggling looking into this section of Scripture because what's going to happen is Jesus is going to heal three people uh, in, in Matthew 1, uh, 8, 1 through 17. And so I was thinking, well, should I talk about healing and how to get healing and, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff. And as I began to study and began to see it, I, I realized the healing, while important, and healing in our own life, while it's important, is not the point Jesus is trying to make. The healing isn't necessarily the power. It is. There's part of it there. And we'll talk a little bit about healing and faith and all that. But. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus does is he he heals three people that the Pharisees would not even talk to. He heals a leper. He heals a centurion slave. And he heals a woman. All three. So let's talk about that. Kingdom power, five attributes of kingdom power and how it would look in our life. The first thing is kingdom power reaches everyone. Now, I'm not going to read this whole section of scripture. We're going to be just kind of going in uh, section by section and looking at it. But here's the story. Jesus comes off the mountain and a leper comes and says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And then he gives him some instruction. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he says, 
you know, don't tell anyone. Just go to the priest and do what the law says you're supposed to do. Then a centurion comes. Now in Matthew, uh, just so you don't get confused, in Matthew it says the centurion came to Jesus. In Luke it says the centurion sent some messengers to Jesus. It's the same thing. It would be as if the president of the United States sent some, uh, uh, what do you call those, secret service guys? You know, to my house it says the president wants you to speak at his next gala. Um, And I say, I don't speak at anything called a gala. And then they explain (laughs) what that is. And I go, oh, okay, a dinner uh, with some entertainment. That makes more sense. And so I I go and he says, what are you doing here? And I say, well, you, you came to me. Now, did the president actually come to me? No, but that's, that's what this means in Matthew. When the centurion comes to Jesus, it's not so much that he comes to Jesus. It's just by his authority, he sends some people. So we don't get confused on that. And so uh, the messengers come to Jesus and they, and they say, look, my, my servant is sick. He's paralyzed and in intense pain. And so Jesus says, hey, I'll come to your place and we'll, we'll get it done. And he says, don't even come to my house. I'm not worthy, but just speak the word. And Jesus talks about, that's what I'm talking about. This guy has a lot of faith. And then Jesus, after that all takes place, he ends up at Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law, which to me is just... (laughs) a miracle in and of itself. And that one too is going to come back to bite me. Okay. But Jesus comes off the mountain with the spiritual teaching, and he opens wide the gates of the kingdom, and he says, it's for everybody. 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 It doesn't matter who you are. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is for you. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter who you think you are, who you thought you were. It doesn't matter who you know, who you don't know. Where you live, where you don't live, the kingdom of God is for everybody. They fir- he first heals a leper. That's someone who was judged spiritually. Leprosy to these people was a, was a judgment of because of someone's sin. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And leprosy is a representation of sin. But they, the leper was judged spiritually. The centurion, they, even though the Lord healed his slave, it was still the centurion that he was doing the favor for. He's judged politically. Remember, when Jesus came, he was supposed to stab the centurion in the chest, right? He's the Messiah. He's supposed to come and take those centurions out of there. These are Roman soldiers that are occupying God's land. Jesus is supposed to kill him, and he's healing him. These were judged politically. And then the woman, uh, she was judged uh, socially. She was judged so she. So let's look at this leper for a second because this is really the crux of it being open to everyone. A leper was at the lowest of the low of society. They believed that it was because of that person's sin. And what, what leprosy is, is it starts out as a little patch of white, usually on the forehead. We call it Hansen's disease now, but it's changed a little bit from back then. Uh, there, it starts as a little patch of white and then it begins to grow. And it gets, it gets more and more flaky and kind of takes over the whole body until there's these spongy, tumorous swellings around. It gets really disgusting. And that begins to go all over the body. And then the appendages, your fingers and your toes, begin to get absorbed back up into the body because it eats away the bone. And, and those fingers and everything get absorbed in there. You begin to lose feeling. 
And so you put your hand on a tack. You don't even know it's there. You pull it away. It rips the skin. It gets infected. You, your, your hearing becomes dull. Your eyesight becomes dull. Your voice becomes scratchy like this. And you're supposed to put your hand over your mouth and go, unclean, unclean. It's a horrible disease. But it is, in fact, a representation of our sin. It says that sin starts out small, but then it, or lust starts out small, then it gives birth to sin, which brings forth death, which conceives sin, which brings forth death. That it starts out, our sin starts out as a little thing. I just, I just did this once. I just like to do this one little thing. I got it under control. We told the story uh, a few months ago. It, may, it might have been a year ago about the guy who got eaten by the lion. Uh, <laughs> so awesome. Uh, he was a lion tamer. He was a lion tamer. So he had his little chair and his whip. I don't know if you remember this. Of course you do. It was one of my sermons. You guys, oh yeah, no, you had three points. They all started with the letter F. Oh yeah, that was it. Right. Uh, so he's holding back the lion. I got it under control. I've, and they, they, you read the quotes. Oh, he'd been around this lion for years. Uh, the lion never attacked him before. He has this little chair and this whip. I got it under control. And then he slips and the lion gets him and he gets eaten. And I'm sorry I laugh, but you're in a cage with a lion, right? Well, that's the point. It's like my sin, I, well, it's never, I, I never, it never got out, out of control before. It's sin. It's designed to kill you. So this is the mental picture of this leper. It's, it starts out small. It spreads quickly. It hinders from sensitivity. Once our sin has really been embedded in our lives, we don't want to listen to people, do we? We can't see as well as we used to spiritually because that sin is, is blocking us. So this guy was an outcast. One theologian puts it this way. No family, no job, no friends, no worship, no hope. They are walking illustrations of sin. One rabbi in the Talmud, which is the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, says that when he saw lepers, he flung stones at them to keep them away. Another rabbi said he would not even eat an egg bought in the street where a leper had passed by. They didn't want, to get, they didn't want their sin to get in the way. And Jesus touches this leper and says, be clean. Now, we don't have lepers in our society, but we've pretty much eradicated that disease. We know how to control it, at least. But there's, we're surrounded by people whose sin is covering them, and you can tell. It might be just the obnoxious boss who is arrogant and is trying to use you to get up higher and higher and higher. And we say, oh, that guy or some kid at school. And you can just tell. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a, a kid who's wrapped up in sexual sin. And it's like, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Hey, I'm just having fun or whatever. And we look and we go, oh, man. Or maybe it's if you're older, it's somebody young and they got spiky hair freaked out all over and piercings. And I don't know how they do it, but the, those big plugs in the ears that just make me want to curl up in the fetal position when I see them because it looks like they hurt. And you go, oh, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Or if you're young and it's somebody elderly and you think, man, the guy's 40. He's, <laughs> he's done with his life, you know? Because I was in high school. Which, oh, no, no, he's really old. He's like 38 or something. He's way out there, right? And we got it all together. But pe- people have this, their sin. Sometimes they, they wear, you can see it. 
The kingdom of God is for them. That boss, that spouse, that neighbor who starts up his motorcycle at four in the morning. We have a lovely neighbor who does it. Love that guy. It's the kingdom of God is for him. Then, then he goes to the centurion. Now this guy, this guy, if you were, I mean, imagine if we got invaded by Iran, let's say. I'm going to go with the headlines, right? We get invaded by Iran. and You got Iranian things all over. And all of a sudden, Pastor John decides, you know what? I'm going to be... You know, there'd be some like, well, why are you hanging around with them? They invaded us. This is where Jesus was. Jesus was supposed to kill them. Jesus was supposed to rise up and kill them. Talk radio, TV, all this is about oh, politics. Oh, what happens if this person gets elected or this person gets elected or blah, 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 blah. Jesus, the kingdom of God is for them. No matter what side of the aisle you're on. It's for the other side. <laughs> Peter's mother, women, the Pharisees used to wake up in the morning. They were known to say, I thank thee that I am not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That's what they'd say. Now, I don't think they woke up next to a wife uh, <laughs> when they said that. Or if they did, they mumbled it under their breath. Because she'd just be like, I know you didn't just pray that again, you know. <laughs> So let me ask you this. Where does the kingdom of God stop in your life? Where does it stop? Sometimes we don't even like half the people in the church. Now, our church isn't like that. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We have a church that loves each other. But where where does it stop? Is there someone that you just don't think? There's just no way that person's coming to Christ. There's no way the kingdom power is going to break into their life. Look at them. They're raggedy clothes. They're diseased. There's just no possible way. All it takes is a touch from Jesus. Jesus' kingdom, the power of Jesus' kingdom reaches everyone. Everyone. I don't care what they look like, what they smell like, what they talk like. The kingdom of God is for everybody. Galatians 3.28 says this, this way, and this is talking about those who have entered the kingdom. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus just wipes all that stuff out. It reaches everyone. Second thing the kingdom uh, power does is it requires a beatitude mindset. Now look what happens here. In Matthew 8, 1, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds follow him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I don't usually get into like which translations are better or whatever, but this is a horrible translation of this word. It should not have been translated knelt. It should have been translated bowed down before him. Every other place this word is used, it's where we get our word prostrate from. Every other place it's used is bowed down. Now maybe because it's your forehead to the ground. Sometimes it's, 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 it's translated worshipped. So if he knelt down, it wasn't just like, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I dub thee healed. Well, I thank you. It was like this, okay? Forehead, hear that? Forehead to the ground, like that. That's the kneeling part, but that's not the most important part. He came with a beatitude mindset. Remember what we talked about with the beatitudes? 
those who mourn, the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, peacemakers. You know what? I was thinking about the Beatitudes, and it's almost like, like when you think about it, meek and those who mourn and poor in spirit, hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's how this guy comes to Jesus. He comes like this. He says, Lord, have mercy on me. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's how he approaches Jesus with this beatitude mindset of, I, I got nothing. The centurion does the same thing. He says, because uh, when he comes to Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, I'll go to your house. We'll, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll heal, heal the slave. He says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you even come under my roof. I, 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 before you, I'm nothing. And what happens? He experiences the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom. Some of us are missing the power of the kingdom in our lives because we've missed this beatitude mindset. Some other things we know about this centurion, because when he sends messengers in Luke, they're Jewish messengers. And those Jewish messengers say to Jesus, this guy's worthy of this. He helped us build our synagogue. So this centurion, although he has every right to rule with an iron fist, he's there in their community saying, hey, yeah, I'll build you a synagogue. He's a peacemaker. He doesn't have that sense that he has to rule. And like, I'm the centurion. I'm the one who's going to tell you what to do. You see, you see his heart? He comes with a beatitude mindset. The other thing we know about this guy, the centurion, is that he loves his slave. Another thing unheard of at that time. He actually cares for his slave. Now, we know this is a young, young boy. In that time, it was very common to have young boys to be slaves in the, in the house. And so this guy's a, uh, he's, he's occupying this land. He has every right to come to Jesus and demand him, to haul him off to the house and say, now, work your magic on this guy. But he doesn't do that. He's got that, that beatitude mindset. And he loves his slave. This is what Aristotle said about slaves. For master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. It would be nothing for this centurion to kill that slave. Once the slave got sick and it was just, I mean, this is too much work. We got to feed him. We got everyone around him. It's wasting much time. They kill him. It didn't make any difference. But this guy, he's got that ah, beatitude mindset. No, that's, I heard about Jesus. And what happens? He doesn't miss the kingdom. He doesn't miss the kingdom of God. It's very important. See, I look at my own life or our lives or whatever, and I look at the times when I've really missed God. Why isn't God here, you know? And often, often, often it's because he's here. He's ready to do his thing. But I'm demanding. I, I didn't get the job I want, or I'm not in the neighborhood I want, or I didn't, don't have the friends I want, or I, you know, and, and Jesus is just kicking back on, well, whenever you're ready, we can work this out. And you go, oh man, if I have a beatitude mindset, he'll, he'll make all my wildest dreams come true. <laughs> no, no. What does it say? Happy, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right. There, Jesus changes us, he makes it better with his kingdom power, but it's us who change. Happy. 
It requires a beatitude mindset. Thirdly, it reveals our faith. Now, here's where when we get into healing, you'll see Jesus a lot of times say, your faith has made you well. And, and, and it, part of that is true, obviously, because Jesus said it. So that makes it true. But sometimes we get into this idea that, well, if I had more faith, uh, better things would start happening. To some extent, that might be true. But if you look at this idea of the kingdom of God and how Jesus was talking about faith, the kingdom of God really reveals your faith. In other words, the kingdom of God comes, something happens, and you're shown for who your, what your true colors really are. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Look at that. Whatever. It's like it's just what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. I take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. This is great faith. He, say, he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In other words, you're the last I got. I have faith you can do this. The centurion comes and he says, you don't even have to show up at my house. I understand this idea of authority. You have the authority to heal right now. And Jesus says this. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. If you astonish Jesus, my hat's off to you. <laughs> I mean, the humanity of Jesus goes, whoa, check this guy out. I show up, the kingdom of God shows up, and his faith is revealed. He didn't just muster that faith up right then. He had this faith in God. He was concerned about God's people. He helped them build the temple. He was ready. He was, he'd been investing in, in who this God might be. And there's many people around us just like this. They're this close to the, from coming into the kingdom of God. They're ready. Something just needs to be said or shared. Or How did this guy know Jesus was in town? Somebody said something. He's like, man, his faith was already there. There are some non-believers who have more faith than believers. I don't know why that is, but when they come to Christ, it's like, yes, this is what I've been saying for years. And off they go. And there are other believers who've been believers for 15, 20 years. And you're like, Hello, are you alive in there? It's worse than the non-believer. So Jesus gets astonished. He says, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. We, we, we're going to talk about this a little bit when Jesus, in a, I think it's next chapter or the end of this chapter, but Jesus gets in the boat and there's a big storm that comes. We'll, we'll talk about this in detail, but... The disciples start freaking out, and Jesus is napping. Well, I, I, this is why I love Jesus. I really, there are parts of Jesus' life that I really want to strive to be like, to be able to nap on a boat that's in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in a storm. But Jesus says, they say, help us, save us. Now, obviously, the storm was there for a reason, because Jesus was there. Anytime Jesus is there, that's where you want to be. And the storm comes, and Jesus gets up and says, you have little faith. In other words, this situation came, and it revealed your faith. It revealed little. Oftentimes, we come into situations in our life, and we're like, Lord, save me. If I only had more faith, this wouldn't be happening. 
It's like, no, this came to reveal your faith, to test your faith, to go, you have little tiny puny arm faith. You need to build it up, okay? You need, some, you need to start working out a little bit, okay? If you can't lift, you know, if you just got the bar and you can barely get it, you know, spotter, you know, then maybe you need to work out a little bit. Here's what James says about it. Consider it pure joy, or the New American Standard says all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So you enter into a trial and you go, ooh, man, puny faith. I'm going to have to work that out. We'll talk about this in our 101 class. How do we increase our faith? How does it get? How do we work that out? So it comes and it tests us. And we go, man, I got puny faith. And then Jesus says, okay, let's work on that. And then the next thing comes. And the next thing comes. It's not like, gee, I wish I had more faith so that I could go like that and my problems would be gone. That's not what it's all about. Kingdom power reveals your faith. And let me say this. When things are happening in your life, look at your faith and say, how am I really handling this? It's an indication of how close you are to Jesus. The fourth thing is, it restores relationships. It restores relationships. This leper, kingdom power, you have to understand how isolated this leper is. And we're going to see a video in a little bit that I think really kind of gives an idea of someone coming to saving faith, of understanding their situation and then coming out of it. But... uh, uh, here's, here's what Leviticus says you do with a leper. The, the, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. He's isolated. The number one most horrific thing you can be, uh, either as a believer or as a non-believer, is to be isolated. It's just you and the enemy. We have to have each other. And kingdom power comes and restores relationships. When this guy was healed, he was not only healed of leprosy, he was brought into community again. Now imagine for months, you, are, you cannot be touched. No physical touch. I mean, there are studies and studies and studies and studies that show how important physical touch is just for healing. Of just, I don't know if you've ever been in the hospital, but sometimes a nurse will just come and, oh man, at the doctor's office or whatever, just to have that hand. That guy didn't have those things. Jesus restores that. For this, uh, uh, for this uh, guy in the um, the centurion. He says, my, her, my ser, uh, servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. Ah, I, my heart just goes out to him. There's, there's, it's just not working between us. I want to see him restored. And there's people around us all over. We look at our, sometimes our parents, sometimes our kids, our neighbors. We're just like, oh, I wish they would just be restored. I wish that relationship could be mended. Kingdom power does that. Again, if you look at your life and you have a whole bunch of unmended relationships, you're missing kingdom power. And it might be you needing a beatitude uh, check. 
Or it might be them, or it might be that just something else, the Lord needs to do something. This, uh, I want to show this video. It's of the leper. It takes a while to load, so if I press it and I sit down, it's not loading. Don't worry about it. But um, this is from a, a series called Matthew, and it's, it's basically a Jesus that actually cares about people. It's uh, the Jesus that's played is a guy uh, who really wanted to get, capture the joy of Jesus and the fact that Jesus really uh, loved people. I saw some other uh, YouTube excerpts from some other videos uh, on here uh, that that showed Jesus healing this leper, and it was awesome. I wish I had time to show him, but it was just like Jesus was just standing there, like you know he was gonna he's gonna faint at any second, and it, it's like you know, Lord, if you're willing to make me clean, I am willing. <laughs> Be clean. You know, it's just like, man, somebody needs to tell a joke to Jesus or something like that. But this one's a little old. It's about 10, 10 years old. But I think it really captures not only the joy of Jesus, of how much he loves us, but um, also the joy of someone who gets healed uh, by a disease and someone who gets healed uh, of their sin as well. I may be a sissy, but that's my Jesus. That's how I see Jesus. Yes, he's dead serious about what he says. But it all comes out of love. I, I, I can just imagine uh, him healing people. And just the human part of him, the pure human part, the emotion. It says Jesus would look out over the multitudes and feel compassion. It's, it's his bowels. He would just... Oh, he'd ache for people. And to me, that is a representation, not only of a healing, but someone coming to Christ. 
I can't believe what I was like, and now I'm changed. And that's the fifth part when we get to this part. The kingdom power reflects the gospel. We cannot lose sight of this fact. Healings, a changed life, a raise, a new job, all the things we pray for, all the things in our life we want. I want, a, I want a spouse that loves the Lord. All these kind of things is for His glory. It's not for our comfort. All our, our spending, our decisions, all these things need to come. How does this bring God glory? How does this further the gospel? Is there anything I'm doing that would stop the gospel from moving forward in my life? Kingdom power reflects the gospel. Look what Jesus says to the leper. By the way, the other cool thing about this thing of Matthew, it's word for word, the book of Matthew. So there's, it, it, there's no, they act everything out and everything goes word for word, NIV. So it's another way you can read the book of Matthew at, uh, if you want. But anyway, uh, then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. Why? As a testimony to them. Remember, Jesus is really interested in the Pharisees, not just to beat them down, but to say they really need to understand I'm the Messiah. So he says, go and, and, and show yourself to them as a testimony to them. Now, people, some people think, well, oh, yeah, that he shouldn't tell anybody because G- Jesus doesn't want to reveal himself yet. In his, you don't go healing people and, and, and not wanting to reveal yourself, you know. Jesus tells, go straight to the priest. Why? Because Jesus was fulfilling the law. That's what the law said to do. You go and you offer your two pigeons or turtle doves. I can't remember what they were. And this is this process of being declared clean. Now, if this guy goes and he starts telling everybody and it whips everyone up, the Pharisee doesn't even want to, the priest doesn't even want to see this guy. Ah, I don't want to. He did, why? Because the guy wasn't acting as though it was the law. He was completely disregarding the law. Jesus was saying, no, no, operate under the law right now as a testimony that they actually see this kingdom power, the Messiah is here. Luke tells us he didn't obey and just tons of people showed up. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to hide or it wasn't his time yet to display his ministry. It's that Jesus wanted this to be a testimony. He wanted the gospel to come to that priest. So that priest would go, Wow, you are clean. How did this happen? It was Jesus. Jesus did it. And then with the, with the centurion, it's not just that the centurion slave got healed. Jesus goes on and he says, you know what? I've never seen anybody with this great faith. And then he looks out over these Jews and he goes, let me tell you something, guys. People are going to come from the east and from the west. This is non-Jews. And God's going to give them the kingdom. They're going to come into relationship with God. And you know what? There are going to be some people in the kingdom that Jesus says, no, you didn't make it. He goes on. He says, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right in the midst of all these healings, Jesus is talking about relationship and what happens when you're not in relationship with God. All to point to the gospel. Kingdom power reflects the gospel. So I have to ask myself, when I want kingdom power in my life, when I want a healing, when I want this and I want that, why is it? James says, well, you want, 
You, you ask, but you don't get. Why? Because you ask for your own pleasures. It's not for the kingdom. You're asking, and I do this all the time, you know. What I want, I'm praying because I don't, you know, I want something to happen because I don't want to feel that pain anymore. But I need to ask myself, what, is there something out of this pain that advances the gospel? If there's healing, can, will that advance the gospel? That's the, that's the point. Look what John says here. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, Jesus did all sorts of cool stuff. We just couldn't get it all down, or the Holy Spirit didn't inspire us to get it all down. But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, this leper, he was given one command. Don't tell anyone. Now, again, for the people he told, they too would question his testimony. Like, Jesus healed you. Why, why aren't you going to the priest? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? The priest would give out a certificate. Where's your certificate? See, the guy was so excited, he, he started operating outside of the will of God. Did he still, was he still healed? Yes. But his testimony was damaged because he didn't obey, both with the priests and with the people all around him. Was Jesus' testimony damaged? No, Jesus is Jesus. He'll be just fine. But this guy was supposed to obey. And oftentimes, this is God's word to us. We've been healed of our sin. We're clean. And Jesus says, now here's what I want you to do. And we go, no. We're excited. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I want now I want you to give this up. See, it was a big deal. He had to go to the priest. He had to go for it was an eight day process. He couldn't just get right back to life. We talked about this when we did a sermon on the ten lepers, just how amazing it was for this one leper to come back and say thank you. But because uh, he was basically putting his life on hold. And Jesus was saying, I want you to put your life on hold. Go to the priest. Go through this ceremony. And that's eight days. I'm clean now. Why, why, do, why do I have to do that? Well, Jesus has a kingdom perspective. And there are things going on right now in our lives that Jesus is saying, I want you to do this. Or I don't want you to do this, which either one it is. See, our testimony isn't just the words we say. It's our very lives. I, I hear some people that oh, I'm really bold in my faith. And, you know, because they yak. But their life is not bold at all. Obedience is the boldest testimony you can have. Are you real? Does Jesus really make that much of a difference in your life that materialism isn't a, isn't a big deal? When, when, when something happens in your life, some type of trauma or whatever, is, does Jesus really make a difference? That's the testimony. Now, does it get us out of having to talk about Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely not. But you see the coupling between being able to talk. The guy talked a great talk about Jesus. He healed me. I'm saved. I, I made it. I did it. But he didn't obey with his life. We, when we invite kingdom power into our lives, we have a two, kind of this scale or whatever. We speak the truth and we actually live it in our lives. We are in love. We are in love. 